On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. It is coming up to 12 minutes past six on the 11th of December um, 2022. The 11th of December 1922 was the first day on which the Shannad sat, ever. The first time that we ever had a seating of the Shannad. It's going to be sitting again tomorrow in the Dull Chamber to mark its centenary. Uh, to mark the centenary, I've been speaking to the Cahirlach of the Shannad, Mark Daly, uh, about Shannad's past and present and when you might actually get have a vote on it. I started by asking exactly what's going to be going on tomorrow when they mark their 100 years of existence. Tomorrow we are marking the 100th anniversary of the first sitting of Shannad Aaron and of course it was established in the middle of the divisive and bitter civil war where many families lost loved ones and over the previous few days uh, Deputy Hale had been killed, uh, the Count Corla had been injured, uh, four Republican prisoners had been executed uh, and they came into the doll chambers as it was back then, and, and that's where we'll be marking the hundred anniversary tomorrow. We will; they will be coming up those stairs, the same stairs a hundred years ago that senators came up, and not knowing what the future was going to hold. Uh, and we're marking that occasion with senators past and present, uh, and celebrating, uh, I suppose, the role of the Shannon in representing minority voices and minority communities, and especially the minority community of 100 years ago being the unionist community and the Protestant community who found themselves in a new state uh, and in many instances were the people who were the legislators of the new state, including the first Cahirlach, who was Lord Glenave. He was from Northern Ireland and he uh, served as the Cahirlach in that first sitting. It has been a theme of the Shannon Centenary materials. You can see it around Leinster House, minority voices, um, majority impact. It seems that over time, the appointment of senators and the election of senators has become much more a party political thing and that there isn't as much scope to include minorities as there used to be. Well, I mean, it, it evolved from 100 years ago from the insistence that the unionist and Protestant and loyalist community who found themselves in the new state had a disproportionate voice in the new Senate. They accounted for 20 of the 60 senators. There was three Quakers and one lady of Jewish faith. So it's probably the most diverse bunch of politicians we ever had. We had the commander of the British forces in Ireland from 1916 to 1918 was a member of the Shannon Aaron. We had, the had, had he had any, any interest in being? Like well, it seems kind of fascinating that you'd have unionists and loyalists who are members of a parliament of a state that they would rather not have existed at all. Well, I think realising and accepting that the state was coming into existence, that they were there to say, look, we've got to roll up our sleeves and we'll make it work. Uh, they thought they were keeping matters on us. Well, I think there was a, a kind of a, a realisation that the new state needed people who had administrative experience and they had it. Uh, and you also had people like Jenny Wise Power, the president of Common Amman, you had a road worker from County Mead, you had the great grandson of uh, Henry Grattan. Uh, and you had WB8. So it was probably the most diverse bunch of politicians we ever had. And of course, it transformed over time where you had other minority voices and minority communities being represented and oftentimes only the sole voice. So you had Mary Robinson, who served in the Senate for over 20 years. In the 10 years prior to her becoming a senator, only four women had served in juries in the previous 10 years. In juries? So we're not talking about four, four women serving in the Shannon. Four women had been in juries. In jury duty in 10 years, in the previous 10 years. So she used the Shannon as a platform to 
highlight those issues, use her legal experience uh, to take on the, the government. And uh, the same with David Norris, who was often uh, the sole voice uh, in relation to the community that he came from, but a, a whole range of issues. David, David Norris was you know, active on the Foreign Affairs Committee for years in relation to the Palestinian cause and many other causes. And he often was the sole voice for his community in the last pandemic, you know, when the society didn't want to know about people dying from AIDS, uh, and he forced change in the law in Ireland uh, uh, through the European courts, but using the Senate as a power. He wasn't just an ordinary citizen. He was uh, a senator. Eileen Flynn is rep- representing the traveller community, but again, minorities across the state. But the issue with the doll was the doll was about getting the popular vote and bringing up on popular issues was not going to get you, you know, a, a doll seat. Mm. In many instances, there was many people who championed minority issues. You mentioned that uh, it's dif- it's different in its character to the doll because of that that difference of the popular vote. And there's been this ongoing question since the referendum about shadowed franchise and how you'd elect people. Would changing the manner through which senators are elected, wouldn't it fundamentally mean that you'd lose that character? Because if it comes more about popular vote, then you'll just vote for the same sorts of people that end up in the dawn anyway. I mean, that's the challenge. I mean, the referendum held over four decades ago was about expanding the franchise. And to the best of my knowledge, it's the only referendum that has been put to the people and passed by the people that hasn't been enacted in a legislative format by successive mm. governments. And let's be honest, mm. the time has come when that needs to be put in place. But at the same time, while you're expanding the franchise and allowing more people to vote, as should happen, you have to do, as, as you say, you have to make sure that you don't lose the basis of the Shannon as being a place where minority viewpoints and minority mm. communities can have that that place in Irish politics and Irish society. So how, how do you strike the balance then? Do you try to just make the Shannon the natural place where, where outsider candidates look to run or, or how do you retain that character? Yeah, I mean, that's really, like there there has been numerous reports, uh, Morris Manning did one and there was a more recent one where they were looking at the, changing the structure around it. But in reality, you have to make sure that uh, that you ensure that those voices are heard and particularly in relation to the likes of Northern Ireland where you know, it it was doing that job from the very beginning. Beginning, you had uh, Lord Glenavy, as I said, but other voices from unionism in the the original Shannon. But then, during the height of the troubles, you had uh, the likes of Gordon Wilson, uh, who lost his daughter in the Enniskillen bombing. He was a voice for reconciliation in the Shannon. You had Breed Rogers, leader of the SDLP, you had Seamus Mallon talking about. Um, a shared home place and about how things needed to be done differently uh, and you had a, all those voices from Northern Ireland which were not obviously mm. going to be elected to the doll, but like no one could argue that the electoral system should say the same but we just have to make sure we don't uh, lose that that characteristic. Well, I wanted to ask you about the electoral system because when, when I said referendum you thought I meant the one in 1979 about expanding the university franchise. That one, yeah. that, that, no, no, that one. That one was what, the, what, what I meant was the one about the abolition of the Shannon in 2014 yeah, I think it was which 20, was rejected yeah, the, and it was rejected because the people said well actually let's hang on to this but there seemed to be a bit of a groundswell of well let's change some of the characters of this to make it work and more relevant for everyone and that sounded like it was leading to changing the franchise why does it take so long to, to put all of that into practice well i mean it's, it's really down to a government decision but we do have two li- bills before us at the moment in the shannon in relation to the enactment of that uh, referendum provision uh, but the other reforms which have been in all those reports mm. uh, in relation to 
the issue around European Union scrutiny and the legislation uh, that comes from Europe, that is one that we fought hard to get and we secured a cabinet decision along with the support of the Taoiseach in relation to making sure that the Senate plays a central role in scrutinising European uh, directives, mm. which at this moment in time, those laws come in from Europe. Yeah. They're added to by government departments. Uh, but, and, a, but a minister signs them and then and they're just they adopted become, very quietly. But they become law the minute he signs them, mm. you know, and they get no scrutiny. Most of our laws, a lot of our laws are coming from Europe in that manner at this moment in time. And uh, together with the Senate leaders, we fought very hard uh, since the beginning of the 26th Shannon, this Shannon, to get that as a provision that the Shannon would take that lead role now mm. and that before those European laws are signed into Irish law by ministers, that the Shannon would have a look at them, would then refer them to the sectoral committees and then they, yeah. they, would, be, they would be then available for people to first of all look at and then say well, we need to make those amendments yeah. um, so that is one of the key changes and bear in mind one of the key aspects of that is that at this moment in time we are incurring millions in fines for, make, for those laws not being enacted in, on time and the European Union sends up memos to government departments saying you haven't enacted that, you're two years late, would you please get on with it? In the meantime, you're incurring a fine of 15,000 a day or whatever. Yeah. Therefore, the Shannon's role from here on in will be that we will be making sure and holding departments to account to save the taxpayer the money, where at this moment in time, that's just, that's, that their fines are being incurred mm. every day. Um, so I think that's one of the very key reforms uh, for the Shannon to take a lead role. And we've done that in relation to other issues that were in those reports, 14 reports on Shannon reform. 14. I had to read all of them during yeah. lockdown. I tell you, that's not a, that's not a lot of fun. I well, well I mean, not to make light of there being 14 reports, but if there's been 14 reports in Shannon reform and there's been no reform of the, or at least of the Shannon franchise, it doesn't give the impression of a chamber that's very loved by those with the power to change it. Well, I mean, we do have the bills in front of us and it, it, what it requires, like all legislation, it requires the government uh, to uh, make sure that the bills get through both houses and at the same time making sure that we don't end up as a version of the doll. So whatever reforms that the government decide that the Shannon should have in relation to how we elect people to the Shannon, we have to make sure that we keep electing minority voices and people that the, the general public mm. don't agree with. Uh, and that's 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 a unique. So you need to have electoral system that results in people getting elected. Yeah, and we're trying to square like. a circle, and it's it's but it, it's very important because you you're having a David Norris who is the longest serving senator in the history of the state uh, in there uh, back in the seventies and in the eighties and talking about things that nobody wanted to talk about uh, led to the change. Uh, and the same with Mary Robinson, who was uh, cracking and smashing the glass ceiling. Not just when she became president, but when she actually was in the Senate and, and talking about issues that nobody wanted to talk about. She told me like, that there was times she couldn't get a seconder for her motion. That's how much of a minority voice she was. You've mentioned the role of uh, unionists and loyalists in, in the first Senate to try and make sure that that reluctant minority were, were recognised. Do you think that the Shannon's most obvious function in future, and you're, you're a big advocate of United Ireland and of planning and making sure that all the groundwork is in place for United Ireland, the Shannon would nearly take the key role in making sure that the reluctant Protestants and Loyalists, Unionists who don't want any part of an Irish state but may find themselves living in one someday, that the Shannon would be their natural home? Well, I think one of the, the big lessons of the Brexit referendum is that whatever you do in the future, you don't have any referendum without everybody knowing what they're voting for. And, uh, you know, the Shannon, uh, having played such a key role in the past in terms of a bridge 
between uh, the unionist community who were found themselves in the new state and any future, uh, I suppose, constitutional discussion uh, that is ongoing at the moment is involving having that discussion with everybody and uh, listening to the concerns that people have and then articulating what the future would be like in, uh, I suppose, a, a shared island. Uh, and I think that's an important uh, part of any discussion. But it is so. It then feels like the Shannon needs to be their venue now rather than after unity. The the idea of the Shannon as a place where you can have that discussion has been there for a hundred years, mm-hmm. and like people forget that. And it wasn't until we started looking into the hundred anniversary and saying, well, what should be the theme of it, that we realised that actually the theme was there a hundred years ago. It was, a, and it it's still that place today where it's a minority voices for major change, uh, and. That hopefully, and what we're doing uh, in our glancing back, but we're looking forward into what will be the role of the Shannon for the next 100 years. And the role is into the relationship with Europe and making sure that we don't fall down the rabbit hole where everyone blames what happened in Europe and say, no, we're responsible for this legislation that's coming from Europe and how we enacted in Ireland, and we should take responsibility for that. So the Shannon's taking that role. Mary Robinson, when we launched Shannon 100 in February, challenged us to be the place where we would discuss the issue of climate action and climate justice. So we worked with the, the, the Climate Action Committee and talked and had them in the chamber along with young people. So we opened up the doors. We said, well, in this year and into the future, we open up the doors of the Shannon uh, to young people and young voices to talk about the future that they would like to see for the whole island uh, and particularly around the climate action and climate justice uh, and then bringing our MEPs in uh, together as constituency blocks from, from Dublin and the other constituency, again talking about what is Europe doing in relation to this very important issue of climate action and climate justice because Mary Robinson describes that this needs to be an everyday conversation because you know we are facing a challenge that is like no other uh, and everybody in, in uh, the, there was a, a quote that she said to me that like no raindrop believes it's responsible for the flood and what we also have to make everyone believe is that everybody can be the rock that's, mm. That is the dam that stops the flood. So we need to make people understand that. So by bringing young people into the chamber and saying this is an important issue for us because this, for many people in the world today, not in the future, today is a life and death issue in relation to climate action. So we've taken on that role. Uh, if it's not being measured, it's not being done. So that's as all the reforms that were within the power of the Shannon to do in the last uh, two and a bit years working with the Senate leaders and all the senators, we have implemented those, the ones from all the reports. Uh, the ones in relation to EU scrutiny is vital on that. And then the ones on the electoral system is, we have two bills before us, but then you know the issue of getting that, them done uh, is vitally important but to make sure that we retain those minority voices for major change on for the next 100 years. Mark Daly, the Cahirlik of the Shannon, speaking to me a little earlier ahead of the Shannon marking its centenary tomorrow. That centenary is actually today. Uh, 100 years ago today, on the 11th of December, 1922, was the first time that the Shannon met. On the record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC. Great minds think unalike. Different skill sets, diverse opinions, it all adds up to the new equation. On News Talk.